Welcome to the Verity Podcast for Wednesday, November 1st, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Melissa Topshire. And I'm Eric Steiner with a look at today's top stories. The Senate Judiciary readies three subpoenas in its Supreme Court ethics probe. The U.S. moves to expel four nations from its African trade program. Israel's Netanyahu rules out a ceasefire with Hamas. Apple warns several Indian opposition leaders of an attempted hack on their iPhones. The U.S. claims that a Russian group was behind a Pentagon cyber attack earlier this year. Meta announces a paid ad-free plan in Europe. China's Evergrande is given a five-week reprieve to revise its debt. Boston prepares to dismantle a homeless tent city. Striking auto workers reach a tentative deal with General Motors. And the FDA warns of tainted eye drops circulating in the U.S. Senate Democrats plan to subpoena GOP donors over alleged Supreme Court gifts. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Forbes, Associated Press, CBS, Axios, The Hill, and NBC. Democrats on the Senate Judiciary Committee announced on Monday that they intend to subpoena Republican donors Harlan Crow and Robin Arkley, as well as conservative activist Leonard Leo, concerning their involvement in the payment of luxury items and travel for Supreme Court justices. While Crow is a known benefactor of Justice Clarence Thomas for over two decades, with payments including vacations, school tuition fees, and the purchasing of Thomas's mother's house, Arkley and Leo are reported to have helped arrange and pay for a private jet trip in 2008 for Justice Samuel Alito. Announcing an impending vote on the subpoenas, Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Dick Durbin, Democrat of Illinois, stated that it was, quote, imperative to understand the, quote, full extent of the influence on these donors' Supreme Court justices. While the committee asked Crow and May for an itemized list of financial gifts to Thomas, the donors' lawyers claimed the committee did not have the authorization to investigate Crow's interpersonal relationship with Thomas. Durbin claimed that the Supreme Court was, in quote, an ethical crisis of its own making, while further alleging that Chief Justice John Roberts, quote, refuses to act. There have been calls for the U.S. Supreme Court to adopt a legally binding code of conduct. Chief Justice John Roberts declined an invite to testify in front of the Senate committee in April. Committee spokesperson revealed that the vote would most likely be scheduled for November 9th if minority committee Republicans request a one-week delay, which is a standard process. Thank you, Eric, for laying out the facts, and we'll begin this round of spins with the Democratic narrative from The Guardian. The acceptance of lavish gifts from Republican billionaires has led to an extraordinary judicial crisis that has all but undermined the legitimacy of the Supreme Court. Several justices have skirted ethics, and the conservative majority may truly be seen as no more than politicians in robes. The current behavior of unelected justices in the U.S. undermines America's trust in its very own democracy and has led to damaging regressive rulings that have harmed society. National Review gives us a Republican narrative. Democrats continue to spread fictional tales of a corrupt Supreme Court undermined by economic incentives deriving from the right. Data shows that despite the left's rhetoric, the Supreme Court has been more likely to side with liberal judicial stances in recent years. It's the creation of misleading scandals and the continued manipulation of the media, which is why the public continues to hold grave mistrust against our judicial institutions, rather than the Supreme Court itself. And occasionally we get a nerd narrative on this program with this one from the Metaculous Prediction Community. 
It says there's a 3% chance of any change in the composition of the U.S. Supreme Court in 2023. The U.S. will remove four African countries from its trade program. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Business Insider, Africa News, The Financial Times, BBC News, and The Africa Report. In a letter sent to the Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives on Monday, President Joe Biden announced his intention to remove the Central African Republic, or CAR, Gabon, Niger, and Uganda from the African Growth and Opportunity Act, a move that will be effective on January 1, 2024. He argued that these sub-Saharan countries had failed to address concerns over the non-compliance with the trade program qualifying criteria, adding that he would continue to evaluate whether they align with the requirements for eligibility. This decision comes as a response to what Biden has deemed gross violations of internationally recognized human rights by the CAR and Uganda, as well as Niger and Gabon's inability to safeguard political pluralism and the rule of law. Uganda has approved punitive laws that include the death penalty for people engaging in certain same-sex activities, while the governments of Gabon and Niger were ousted in military takeovers this year. According to analysts, the CAR likely lost its status due to ties with the Wagner Group. The act, which allows duty-free exports from eligible sub-Saharan African states on over 1,800 products in the U.S., was launched in 2000. Last year, Gabon and Uganda exported goods worth $220 million and $174 million, respectively, to the U.S., while Niger registered $73 million and the CAR recorded less than $900,000. The Act's three-day annual forum will kick off on Thursday in Johannesburg, South Africa, with African trade ministers gathering to press for a quick extension of the program past 2025. Melissa, thank you for laying out those facts. Our first spin is a pro-establishment narrative coming from politics today. This trade program has been a significant driver for economic growth for many sub-Saharan countries. So this decision, although not yet set in stone, will be damaging to the expelled states. With the act's beneficiaries desperate for the program to be extended for at least another 10 years post-2025, Biden reaffirmed that supportive political will remains a necessity in any country's dealings with the U.S. And here's an establishment critical narrative from Asia Times. The U.S. continues a social reconstruction of the African Growth and Opportunity Act directed towards the wider purpose of retaining international influence in response to the perceived rising threats of China and Russia. When originally formed, the act was intended to assist the economies of sub-Saharan Africa. Today, it is a proxy for hegemony that dismisses the legitimate sovereignty of African nations to make their own domestic decisions. Israel's Netanyahu rules out a ceasefire with Hamas. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Fox News, Associated Press, ABC News and Reuters. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu rejected calls for a ceasefire with Hamas on Monday comparing the October 7th attacks by Hamas to the Pearl Harbor and September 11th attacks on the U.S. Netanyahu said Israel was justified in retaliating, stating that it would wage war against Hamas, quote, until victory. Quote, calls for a ceasefire are calls for Israel to surrender to Hamas, to surrender to terrorism, to surrender to barbarism. That will not happen, Netanyahu said. He added, the Bible says that there is a time for peace and a time for war. This is a time for war a war for our common future. Today, we draw a line between the forces of civilization and the forces of barbarism. It is a time for everyone to decide where they stand. 
The comments come amid increasing calls for an immediate ceasefire, namely over concerns about the humanitarian situation in Gaza, where over 8,000 people have reportedly now been killed. Philippe Lazzarini, head of the UN's Agency for Palestinian Refugees, said, quote, An immediate humanitarian ceasefire has become a matter of life and death for millions, accusing Israel of, quote, collective punishment of Palestinians and the forced displacement of civilians. Despite those calls, John Kirby, the National Security Council spokesman for the White House, said on Monday that the U.S. does not support a ceasefire. Quote, we do not believe that a ceasefire is the right answer right now, he said. We believe that a ceasefire right now benefits Hamas. And Hamas is the only one that would gain from that right now as Israel continues to prosecute their operations against Hamas leadership. However, Kirby added that U.S. President Joe Biden got a commitment from Netanyahu that Israel would significantly increase the flow of humanitarian assistance into Gaza. Currently, less than 50 aid trucks cross the Rafah border with Egypt on a daily basis. Before the war, Gaza was reliant on more than 500 aid trucks a day. Meanwhile, Israel's ground offensive in Gaza continued into Tuesday with air, sea, and ground attacks reported in Gaza's northwest as well as on its main north-south highway. Israel also continued to march towards Gaza City in two directions. Hamas militants reportedly responded with anti-tank missiles and machine gun fire. Thank you, Eric. Those were the facts, and we'll start with a pro-Israel narrative from the Times of Israel. Calls for a ceasefire are calls for Israel to surrender to Hamas. Israel will never surrender to Hamas after what it did on October 7th. In fact, the Hamas terror organization needs to be eradicated so it can never commit these types of atrocities again. The pro-Palestine narrative comes from Associated Press. After 23 days of unrelenting Israeli airstrikes, which Gaza has had to endure under an Israeli blockade that's left it without food, clean drinking water, medicine, and electricity, millions of people are on the brink of a humanitarian catastrophe. A ceasefire is needed immediately. And there's another nerd narrative from the Metaculous Prediction community. This one says there's a 50% chance that Israel will lift the blockade on electricity, food, gasoline, and medicine in Gaza by December 2023. News from India, where opposition leaders are reportedly receiving iPhone hacking alerts. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, Al Jazeera, The Wire, The Daily, The Guardian, NDTV, and Scroll. Several Indian opposition lawmakers on Tuesday claimed to have received an alert message from Apple Incorporated warning the members of parliament that their iPhones were being targeted by state-sponsored attackers. The iPhone manufacturer's alert reportedly warned that state-sponsored attackers may be trying to compromise their device and remotely access their sensitive data, camera, and microphone. Opposition leaders and the media persons who have received Apple's alert are vocal critics of Prime Minister Narendra Modi's government, including Shashi Tharoor of the Congress and veteran journalist Siddhartha Varadarajan. Downplaying the allegations of surveillance, India's Information and Technology Minister Ashvini Vaishnav said, The people who cannot see the growth of the country are doing destructive politics, as he claimed the alert had been issued to citizens of 150 countries. Meanwhile, the central government has ordered an investigation into the matter, stating it takes its role of protecting privacy and security of all citizens very seriously. In 2012, India was among those nations where the Israeli spyware Pegasus, which can infect smartphones without users' knowledge and access their data, was reportedly being used to snoop on judges, journalists, and opposition leaders illegally. Melissa, thank you for laying out those facts. We begin our round of spins with Narrative A coming from the Quint. 
If La Affaire Pegasus 2021 is anything to go by, the Modi government's urge to spy on its critics is self-evident. The Indian state hasn't been exactly forthcoming on its spyware deals either, despite the massive negative reactions. If the many upcoming state elections and next year's national polls are taken as context, then the matter becomes one of the legitimacies of Indian democracy itself. The Indian Express brings us Narrative B. India's opposition must stop carping about surveillance every time it runs out of issues to attack the government with. If Apple has warned lawmakers about a hacking attempt, then the company must explain the matter and not the government. The opposition must slow down and cooperate with the probe instead of distracting public attention from the country's progress. The Metaculous Prediction community gives us a nerd narrative. They say there's a 75% chance that the BJP will form the government after the next Indian general election in 2024. According to a special report, Russian hackers breached 632,000 DOJ and Pentagon email addresses. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Forbes, American Military News, Bloomberg, and CBS. Bloomberg, citing the U.S. Office of Personnel Management, or OPM, reported on Monday that a Russian-speaking criminal group is responsible for a large-scale cyber attack earlier this year that hacked the email addresses of around 632,000 employees from the Justice and Defense Departments. The hackers targeted vulnerabilities in the widely used file transfer software called MoveIt to reportedly compromise several areas within the Defense Department, including the Air Force, Army, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, Office of the Secretary of Defense, and Joint Staff and Defense Agencies. OPM has classified the hack, which occurred on May 28th and May 29th, as a, quote, major incident though reassured that the hack information was, quote, generally of low sensitivity, with no classified data obtained. The Russian-speaking group CLOP, which has claimed responsibility for earlier MOVIT attacks, has been accused of carrying out the ransomware hack. Many other organizations, such as airlines and universities, were victims of the MOVIT hack, with the breach in June exposing the personal information of 3.5 million residents of Oregon, according to the state's Department of Transportation. Cybersecurity experts have said that the recent hacks were serious, but they don't represent a systemic risk to national security or the nation's networks. Thank you, Eric, for the facts. And we have an anti-Russia narrative from the Indianapolis Star. While Klopp appears to be primarily interested in extorting money from its victims rather than undermining national security, the U.S. must work to bring charges against all cyber criminals. It's no secret that Russia, alongside the likes of Iran and China, has been attempting to undermine U.S. cybersecurity. And with the 2024 election cycle getting ever closer, it's paramount that Washington sends the message that it won't tolerate such behavior. The pro-Russian narrative comes from TASS. It's no surprise that Russian hackers would target the U.S., given that multiple Western countries, particularly Ukraine with the help of Washington, have attacked the Russian government in a similar manner. Furthermore, the West has also likely supported unofficial criminal cyber attacks against Moscow. NATO is the one pushing this war into the cybersphere. But what it should really worry about is when its own hackers will eventually turn against it. Meta will launch an ad-free Facebook and Instagram tier in Europe. Here are the facts as agreed upon by NBC, TechCrunch, The Wall Street Journal, The Irish Times, and BBC News. Meta, which owns Facebook and Instagram, announced Monday that starting in November, users older than 18 can pay a monthly subscription fee for its platforms and no longer see ads. It will cost about 10 euros, or about 10.50 US dollars per month. It will cost 9.99 or about 
$10.50 U.S. per month for desktop and $12.99 or about $13.70 for iOS and Android. The move, which will apply to Meta's two major social media platforms in the EU, the European Economic Area and Switzerland, will then add an additional charge of €6 per month per desktop account and €8 per month per phone account, listed under a user's account center. Alongside the subscription rollout for adults, Meta will also stop showing ads to minors throughout the region starting November 6. A suspension the company says will continue until it concludes its assessment of the bloc's new data privacy laws. The subscription model is to comply with the EU's new General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, which concluded that the company must obtain consent to track users' activity for ad targeting. Earlier this month, the Court of Justice of the European Union allowed the possibility for Meta to charge an appropriate fee if necessary. In response, the EU's Data Protection Commission in Ireland said its review of the new policy has not yet concluded adding that it is due to be completed shortly, at which point the DPC will notify Meta if the monthly subscription is compatible with Meta's obligations under GDPR. This comes as both TikTok and X, formerly known as Twitter, have implemented and experimented with ad-free subscriptions. Elon Musk's X charges £16, about $19.40 per month, while TikTok has been trialing a monthly subscription of $4.99. Those were the facts, and the first spin is Narrative A coming from Entrepreneur. While many users may be happy to avoid what they see as pesky advertisements in their social media feeds, the growing number of ad-free platforms will be a detriment to companies trying to reach potential customers. There are also ethical concerns over all these platforms, from Meta and YouTube to X and Snapchat, charging those with less financial means to use their services. Ad-based social media gives everyone free access to the Internet something that could be lost if this trend grows. Here's Narrative B from Forbes. As non-human bot accounts take over the digital dialogue and targeted advertising becomes more and more intrusive, subscription-based social media can certainly become the new norm. However, in order for users to feel they're paying a fair price, these tech giants are going to have to provide more bang for their buck. The digital world is at a historical impasse which is why Silicon Valley, either by legal force in the EU or by choice in the case of Elon Musk, must prove itself willing to protect our data while building platforms worth a subscription. China's Evergrande has been granted five weeks to negotiate or face liquidation. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Nikkei Asia, South China Morning Post, Associated Press, BBC News and The Standard. The Hong Kong High Court gave the crisis-hit China Evergrande Group a five-week reprieve to negotiate a deal with creditors or face liquidation, adjourning a liquidation hearing until December 4th. This comes after the property developer announced Monday that it has been working on a revised debt restructuring plan. Justice Linda Chan stated that this postponement, the fifth since offshore creditor Topshine Global filed a winding-up petition against the company in June 2022, will be the last before a decision is made on the liquidation order. This comes as lawyers representing Topshine asked for an immediate order to close the firm. Simultaneously, an impromptu group of offshore creditors and another entity asked for a three-month delay in the hearing. With over $300 billion in liabilities, Evergrande defaulted on its debt obligations two years ago. The arrest of its chairman, Hui Ka Yan, last month has cast further doubt over the real estate developer's ability to complete its debt restructuring proposal for offshore debts. 
Additionally, the plan was affected as Chinese regulators banned the embattled company from issuing new U.S. dollar bonds, a crucial part of its repayment proposal. After falling as much as 23% earlier, Evergrande stock closed down about 10% on Monday. The firm may seek to include shares from its subsidiaries, which collectively hold a market value of less than $1 billion, as key components in any debt restructuring attempt. Thank you, Eric, for those facts. And we have an anti-China narrative from CNBC. Doubts remain over the future of the highly indebted Chinese property developer as fears of its liquidation grow. With Hui's Freedoms Limited and a five-week window to strike a deal, the company may not survive. A failed Evergrande could spill over into other parts of the economy, leading to China's own layman-style crisis. The pro-China narrative comes from Global Times. While Western media keeps trying to promote Evergrande's case as if its potential collapse would negatively affect China's economic prospects, the fact is that such claims expose just how little they understand the Chinese development model. Because Evergrande has engendered this crisis by not following Beijing's directions, the group must shoulder its responsibility without a bailout. Boston will remove a homeless tent city. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Fox News, CBS, WBUR News, Washington Examiner, and The Daily Caller. Boston Mayor Michelle Wu has enacted a new rule that will allow police to remove tent and other makeshift shelters at a homeless tent city known as Mass and Cass, or Methadone Mile, an area stretching from the corner of Melnia Cass Boulevard and Massachusetts Avenue, known for its crime and substance abuse. Effective Wednesday, police will be able to start removing tents and stopping future encampments in the area, which between May and July of 2023 had an average of 700 to 900 emergency calls per week. According to Wu, the measure passed last week is intended to permanently shift the dynamic on the street and in the surrounding neighborhood and citywide to be safer and healthier for everyone. Under the order, however, police must ensure those being cleared out are offered an alternative place to shelter and temporary storage for their belongings. Officers reportedly began a three-day operation to clear 75 tents on Monday, moving about 90 people into shelters. Enforcement of the measures will be rolled out over the next month, and the city will deploy additional outreach workers to connect people with shelter and store their belongings. Notice of the ordinance was disseminated to local residents in multiple languages. Wu says her plan has three steps, removing tents, connecting homeless people with housing, and heavy police presence to crack down on crime. Melissa, thank you for laying out those facts. Our first spin is a right narrative coming from Blaze Media. After years of being plagued with crime-riddled tent cities, it seems some Democratic mayors are finally doing something about the homelessness crisis. It's absolutely tragic how much American cities have degenerated over the last several decades under Democratic leadership. And it's about time there be common sense solutions to the issues of open drug abuse and violent crime. Here's the left narrative from GBH. While Mayor Wu and the city of Boston think they are doing a service to the community by clearing tents and offering services to homeless people, they're also throwing many out of their dwellings and putting marginalized people at risk. There isn't enough housing to shelter these displaced people, with the trans community likely to be disproportionately impacted. As always, the most marginalized are paying the highest price. The UAW reaches a tentative deal with General Motors. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, NBC, CNN, Associated Press, CNBC, and Reuters. 
The United Auto Workers, or UAW Union, reportedly struck a tentative agreement with General Motors on Monday, suggesting it has now agreed to pending deals with Detroit's Big Three automakers. The deal, which comes after the UAW announced similar agreements with Stellantis and Ford last week, is set to end a strike that began on September 15th, with 13,000 union members walking off the job after their contracts expired. At one point, nearly 50,000 auto workers were simultaneously on strike during the longest period of industrial action seen in the U.S. in 25 years. However, over 16,000 Ford strikers have reportedly returned to work, while 14,000 Stellantis strikers are in the process of returning. GM's estimated 18,000 protesting workers could return to work within days. The new contracts come with boosts in pay and benefits for the 146,000 union members, including an immediate 11% raise in the top hourly wage rate and cost-of-living pay raises, which are set to reach 30% by the expiration of the contracts in April of 2028. While Ford said the seven-week-long strike had cost the company $1.3 billion and the new agreement would increase labor costs by $850 to $900 per vehicle produced, GM claims the strike has cost them nearly $800 million. Though there are reports that the UAW had suspended their strike against Detroit's Big Three, UAW local leaders are expected to hold regional meetings with the rank-and-file members on Friday to discuss the contract and take a vote on whether or not to ratify the deal. Here's a left narrative from the New York Times. The UAW's push for labor rights and fair pay has resulted in success. Having achieved record pay increases and benefits as a part of its agreements with the Detroit's Big Three, labor rights and general economic equality have been on a staggering decline in the U.S. And hopefully, this win for workers can be a beacon of hope for the future of employment rights. The UAW's strike has worked, and it should serve as a starting point for all labor movements. The right narrative comes from the Wall Street Journal. Union members have squeezed auto manufacturers for everything they have, and the UAW strike will cripple Detroit's auto industry. It's understandable for workers to demand better wages and benefits, but the UAW deals come with a ridiculously high pay increase. This may be a short-term win for workers, but with labor costs up and share prices down, it's only a matter of time before the workers feel the same pain that the automakers are feeling right now. And here's another nerd narrative saying there's a 50% chance that at least 447,000 workers will go on strike as part of a major work stoppage in the U.S. in 2023. That's according to the Metaculous Prediction Community. The FDA warns that 26 eyedrop brands could lead to infection and vision loss. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CNN, Healthline, ABC News, and CBS. According to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, at least 26 over-the-counter eyedrop brands, including those sold under store brands, could lead to serious eye infections, resulting in vision loss or blindness. The agency is calling for the recall of store brands from CVS Health, Rite Aid, Target Up and Up, Leader, Cardinal Health, Rugby, and Velocity Pharma. This follows an FDA inspection of the manufacturer's facilities, during which it found unsanitary conditions and positive bacterial test results in critical drug production areas. While the FDA said that CVS, Rite Aid, Target, and Walmart are removing the products from their store shelves and websites, it warned that brands including Leader, Rugby, and Velocity may still be available in stores and online and should not be purchased. Cardinal Health, however, has reportedly said that it is working to initiate a recall of its products, Rugby and Leader. It also said it's working with Velocity Pharma, the supplier of the impacted eyedrop products, 
to gain additional insight regarding the unsanitary conditions. This comes after the FDA earlier this year issued a similar warning regarding several other eye drops due to microbial contamination. The CDC found those, too, led to a risk of vision loss, surgical removal of eyes, and even death. Eye drops contaminated with bacteria are linked to at least four deaths and dozens of infections, according to CDC data. Teresa Murray of the Consumer Watchdog U.S. PIRG Education Fund called the FDA warning infuriating because it took too long to recognize a pattern of contamination and because companies have refused to comply with recalls in a timely fashion. Melissa, thanks for presenting those facts. Our first spin is an establishment-critical narrative coming from the conversation. U.S. pharmaceutical companies have for decades outsourced drug manufacturing overseas, leading to challenges in FDA oversight. While foreign inspections have intensified, domestic oversight has waned. This shift, combined with reduced inspections, raises concerns about the quality and safety of common-use drugs available to Americans. The government should have changed course after it recalled 60 million Johnson & Johnson vaccines. But since it didn't, hopefully these latest headlines will bring institutional change. And we'll round out today's show with a pro-establishment narrative from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. The FDA's job is to do exactly what it did regarding these dangerous eye drops. The agency conducts inspections of medical facilities ranging from drug manufacturers and blood banks to food processing plants and tobacco manufacturers. When companies disregard federal law and put Americans at risk, the agency will be there to uncover such violations, warn the public about them, and hold those responsible to account. Thanks for listening to the Verity Podcast for Wednesday, November 1st, 2023. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. Find out more at verity.news and download the Verity app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Melissa Topshire, I'm Eric Steiner inviting you to join us next time on the Verity Podcast. Thank you.